What is up, Levered listeners? Welcome back to episode eight of the pod, of the Levers podcast. I'm here with the lads, as per usual. We got Chris posted in Santa Barbara, Shake in LA. We're going to talk about the metaverse today. Um, the metaverse was a, or is, a term that was coined by Neil Stevenson, who wrote Snow Crash in 1992. And the idea of the metaverse um, is sort of an open virtual topography for users to interact with simultaneously, uh, usually via avatars. So you can think about it as a virtual reality or augmented reality or whatever else um, sort of fills out that picture for you. But the idea is that it's a digital universe for users to interact with um, without restriction. Uh, that in some ways mimics the reality of the real world. And as the technology progresses, will more and more so mimic the real world. Um, and the reason this is sort of a lever, um, the way we thought about it is, 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 is for three reasons. Um, the first is um, the openness to be whoever you want to be. So the traditional social world is very much gated. Status is super important. Um, people might find themselves excluded from certain opportunities. In these worlds, um, you sort of um, live vicariously through your avatar, and you can be whoever you want to be. You can act in whatever way you want to act. And at least in theory, people will value you based on the quality of your ideas and not how you look or your social status or what school you went to. The second is the, um, the second part of the, um, the lever is kind of the economic potential of these games. And we're going to get into this more, so if it sounds... Uh, nonsensical, just give it time, hear us out. Um, but in many of these games um, right now, there are real economic opportunities in game to earn digital currency. And especially during COVID, there are parts of the developing world where people lost their jobs and they were able, able to actually make more money in game than they would um, in the physical world and feed their families. So you have sort of an upward mobility aspect, which is the second lever. And third, um, I think, um, me the most, but, but, but all the levered lads, uh, believe that we are slowly merging um, into a digital spatial species. Um, and these metaverse concepts are going to be very important. And so to understand them is to be able to sift through the opportunities, the financial opportunities um, in this digital world of metaverses um, and reward yourself financially through that. Um, so with that, we're going to kick off this, uh, this lever podcast about the metaverse. You know what I just thought of, Teach? It's interesting is you are simultaneously very, like, you're very interested in, like, primal stuff when it comes to health and being outdoors and kind of barefoot walks and cold river plunges. And then you're also, like, I would say you're, like, on the extreme of all three of us on that. Uh, you know, piece. And then also with the metaverse, you're like, you understand it the most and you're like the most bullish on it. You know, it's kind of like you wouldn't <laughs> expect those like two things. Dude, what, what's, what's, I think that's, that's an interesting call out. What I'm so like confused and betwixt and between about this because like I, be, it's kind of like, it's kind of like religion. Like I, I don't believe in religious fundamentals for me, but I believe religion is like deeply, deeply important to other people and therefore it's legitimate in a way, right? Like I have to respect it in a way. Like the metaverse for me right now, I, I don't see an appeal. Like I don't, I don't like to go into Central Land and walk around yet, but 
you can see all the opportunities. Like it's all inevitable, right? So you kind of got to respect that. And so that's kind of why I'm interested in it. But it's simultaneously, like I don't fundamentally believe in it for me, which is sort of interesting dynamic there also the metaverse in like the most literal sense is like this virtual reality that you're living in that becomes a mirror of like how we interact in the analog space but uh, metaverse is also just how it's like at a higher level all this activity that's going on in the on the internet right and so i mean tj spends all his time on the internet when he's not working out i mean i do too so it's kind of like we're not playing games necessarily but our whole lives right. are are uh are channeled through this medium um right especially post-covid and that, that might be interesting to talk about how you know how does covid potentially ending change you know the adoption of the metaverse or does it not matter etc but um the metaverse isn't just like you know owning a house in virtual reality because then I think maybe that's one of the reasons why people won't take it as seriously. They're like, I'm never going to own a house in reality. But like if you get all your jobs through Twitter and LinkedIn and, you know, you have to work with people across the world remotely. It's like, well, that's kind of the metaverse, you know, it's just maybe it's a, really a little point. more opaque. Uh, I think that's a that's a good point. And um, and I, I make a point in the metaverse piece recently. Uh, the, the first part of the lever was... Uh, you know, you can go in there, you, you can go into this metaverse and not be judged for whatever status you've inherited. You can be whoever you want. You can socialize however you might like to. But like the point is good, right? We're already, we're already socializing digitally a lot, right? And like we each, all three of us have associated with certain internet tribes, right? Like Twitter is sort of, um, Twitter is sort of this game space where you naturally divide into tribes and so you associate yourself with the Bitcoin maxis or anyone else. And then you compete for status in there, right? Like Chris's point is good. Like it's, it's already, the metaverse is already here, right? We're already a digital species. Um, what I think um, the sort of more physical metaverse does incrementally is we are a digital species now, but we still do come from a spatial space. So I think it can be difficult sometimes to communicate just in this kind of ether of bits. What the metaverse in the more spatial conception does is it brings an aspect of skeuomorphic design to our digital existence. And skeuomorphic design for listeners is just um, a design concept that mimics reality. So if you think about a, um, an electric car that has a grill on the front, right? That's skeuomorphic design because an electric car doesn't have to breathe. So it's mimicking an artifact um, from a model of the past of, of reality or a light bulb that's shaped like a candle, right? We're a spatial species, we understand physical things. And what the, this metaverse concept does is it gives us a physical avatar to go and navigate with. It's a, it's a spatial aspect um, to make us more comfortable doing that. I think that's where things sort of get um, get interesting is it really like enriches your digital identity to like a new level that like a Twitter handle hasn't quite gotten to. It's, it's the next evolution of the metaverse that is already here, I think. Yeah, the yeah. skeuomorphic design with like the laptop being or your desktop being the top yeah, of the a folders. desk with your folders and your yeah. and your files like that was all to... Um, smooth out the transition to using um, computers for information processing, whatever in the 80s. I mean, we still call them those because it, it makes, it helps things make. 
Another good one for crypto is that we call it wallets. Yeah, wallets are kind of bad, honestly. <laughs> so bad. bad. Design. So bad. Uh, and coins. Yeah. Yeah, and coins. <laughs> Boomers and are still coin. asking where the coins are at and what where they're mining them. <laughs> yeah, mining coins is so brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, leading up to this, I was thinking of um, like my experience with it a metaverse or a, I don't know, type of metaverse, um, has been with NBA 2k. There was a phase where I got super addicted to NBA 2k and I spent like not an insignificant amount of money buying these like player cards and stuff and like building this team, you know, and, um, leading up to this, I was thinking like the, you know, there's people who play that game a lot, right? So they're kind of somewhat living in this metaverse, but then there's people who, make their living making content about the game and they have their friends on Twitter and they post these videos on YouTube where they, that's literally how they make money or they'll even sell, um, like coaching or, Hey, you can do a zoom call with me and I'll, you know, give you tips on your gameplay and stuff. And it's like, those people are already like fully operating in the metaverse, but it's just not like all, um, integrated yet, you know? And so that's what I've been thinking about. Cause as you guys pointed out, it's like, Hey, we get on this podcast, this is digital. And we spend a lot of our time reading and, you know, uh, you know, going on Twitter whatever, like we already spend a lot of our time digitally, but to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but like the, like at, there'll be a point where it's kind of all in the same place, you know, yeah. like right now, Twitter could just ban one of our accounts or, you know, take down my YouTube channel. And it's like, well, that part of my metaverse is kind of gone, but I have this idea where it's kind of all going to be integrated. Does that make sense? Yeah, dude, that makes that makes that makes total sense. And I think that I think that comment pushes uh, this pod in the right direction for two reasons. Like the first is like the the the, the digital merge. Like there was this. I, I can't remember what the book was, but there was this guy that put uh, forward this observation that like as CPUs and 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 computing technology have evolved the center of compute has physically gotten closer and closer and closer to our biological center of compute. So what I mean by that is like when the Apple one came out, right, it was like, it was sort of at an arm's length, right? The compute happened over there. You interacted through a keyboard and then the laptop came out, right? And, and the compute was on our lap, right? And then the phone, the mobile wave came and the compute is in my hand. It touches my body. It's in my pocket at full times. And now all of this is, I mean, it's a part of me, right? The compute in both of these. And at some point, they'll just be, you know, brain computer interface and we'll just be being a human is not a purely biological endeavor, right? It's just, there's a emerge. But the other part was you're talking about people living in, in, in 2k, right. And being really good at it, having a unique skill there and being able to make economic opportunity from that skill. Um, and I think sort of the natural next direction to go with this conversation is, um, that economic opportunity is critical to like the vibrancy of that world. The problem with a 2K and a Fortnite, um, which is the example I gave as sort of the web 2.0 virtual world in the metaverse piece is that the economic opportunity that happens within those games is, is owned by the platform. And the assets, which you can't really call them assets, they don't have, they don't live outside the platform. Platform dies, assets die. Platform decides to foreclose on assets, assets die. There's no secondary markets, right? So you're, 
you're sort of renting these privileges from the platform. The next level of like metaverse democracy, um, kind of what, what the internet was kind of supposed to, to be. It was supposed to be the users have agency. They decide what they want to do with the platform. But instead, you had gatekeepers dictating what happens. That's what's happening with 2K. That's what's happening with Fortnite, right? So, so Fortnite, Fortnite just broke open this world. They did this marshmallow concert with like hundreds of thousands of people and their avatars in the game viewing these live concerts, right? So they're opening up this idea of people, of skeuomorphic design within these metaverses and people socializing via avatars. But there are some problems. It's still gated and it's still, um, it's still that sort of archaic model of, you know, the web 2.0 tech companies controlling these platforms and they dictate what users do. So I think what hopefully these metaverse concepts can um, galvanize is a world where you have genuine openness, you have the genuine ability to modify the landscape, right? So like use the scripting engine to build user creations. And third, to own all of those creations such that markets can evolve, like genuine markets can evolve. Because if users can build creations, contribute content, own that content, and trade that content, so you have secondary markets evolving outside the games, you have labor markets because, you know, if people want nice content on their land and they're not good architects, they've got to hire an architect. Sort of like you were saying, people wanted to hire 2K tutors, right? That's a specialized skill and people will pay for that. Once you have those, you know, interesting properties on owned land, you can open up rental markets and capital markets. And at that point, you just have a fully fledged digital economy, right? Yeah, and it's it's um it's interesting to think like why it wasn't the internet built like that to begin with, where you're basically, you know, renting assets from these big software companies. Um, I think two reasons. One is that you know, when all these initial internet companies were getting started, I don't think people realized how important all of this stuff was going to be to our day-to-day -day life. Um, and so it's okay to rent things, uh, rent ownership from big software companies because you don't really care uh, as much about what the asset you're renting. So you don't think about the fact that you don't really own it. I think too, also, you know, as computers get faster, uh, networking gets faster, the possibilities um, kind of change. So, you know, in 2000, a lot of these ideas in crypto about NFTs and distributed ownership just aren't possible because compute's still more expensive, right? So when compute's more expensive, you see like a centralizing force into the cloud. And now you're starting to see ownership trying to be distributed back to the edges. Um, and that's partially enabled by the fact that um, compute's just getting faster and cheaper. And because what actually enables this, like, you know, self-sovereignty of, of assets is actually just uh, there's a redundant, like the, the data is redundantly stored across thousands of computers. Um, and that's what enables like permanence. And that's only possible once computes gets really cheap. So this like this trend in, um, I guess, you know, how we're interacting with the Internet is partially driven just by like technological progress. And it's like mixed with, you know, our psych our psychology is kind of changing with how we, I guess, perceive the value of the internet, such that we don't want to be um, beholden to, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter, et cetera.
Yeah, I mean, how much, um, I don't know if, if either of you guys know, but how, like, is is the hardware, does the hardware exist right now where we can have like a fully functioning metaverse in the way I was talking about where it's like everything's kind of integrated, you can do anything in a decentralized way or is, are we not to that point yet? No, we, we, we um, I mean, this is one of the, the problems with metaverse adoption is like if you guys have been in Decentraland, like it's it's pretty cool. There's not that many players in it. There's some interesting content, but it's very low fidelity, right? If you've ever played Minecraft, it's it's sort of pixely and um, and it's seemingly lazy compared to like the usual visual digital experiences that we've grown accustomed to, right? But there's there's a very specific reason for that, which is um. Actually, I was talking to my brother, GTA and their Rage Machine, that's arguably the most high fidelity, genuine metaverse concept that's been built so far. You can have like hundreds of players interacting with the same topography where each node in the network, their rendering actively reflects what the other players in the game are doing at very high fidelity. So Minecraft was deliberately, deliberately built the way it was because we don't yet have sufficient compute to render those sort of metaverses with thousands of individuals in a high fidelity environment. So what you end up doing is you build the game such that you scale down the number of moves that the rendering engine has to compute. If you build these pixels, right, and there are only certain moves that can be done by agents, you don't have to render them in real time, right? You have a thousand moves, they're all pre-rendered, when agent decides to do move A, the, the compute's already been done, right? And so the thing about these metaverses is for a lot of people, including me, like I'm used to playing first-person shooters where everything is just beautiful, right? It's quick, it's beautiful, I can shoot, bing, 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 and I'm out of there, right? And with my boys, 10 boys, Decentraland's not like that. And the reason it's not like that is because it has to incorporate not a game lobby of 16, but a game lobby of 10,000. And so if you have that and you build or you attempt to introduce too much fidelity, too much cl clarity too early, and then you have a thousand agents trying to do actions within the game, and then it gets glitchy, that's how you lose users. People abandon that, never come back. If I had a glitch in Decentraland, I probably would never go back, to be honest, if it was clunky. And so I think a key thing is how as the development team, or in Decentraland's case, like the DAO, the distributed node of develop or distributed network of developers, how do you pace how do you pace upping the fidelity of the experience against the adoption? If you up the fidelity too quickly and the experience is shitty, you're going to cuck your adoption curve, right? And so I think that's kind of the key thing. I don't understand a ton about this. My understanding is that we're still using effectively uh, graphics technology that's just been incrementally tinkered with from the 90s, which I guess is how all technology happens. But um, I, I think what in an ideal world happens is the reason Fortnite has been so successful or the Rage Machine has been so successful is because the corporate structure has the finances to incentivize a strong group of very skilled developers to build this incredible thing, right? So there's a reason we converge on corporations. They're efficient at allocating capital to get objectives done. Centraland's owned by its users. So you got to imagine in that user base are some incredible developers. How do you ensure that those developers have the incentives to build the rendering engine that takes the metaverse from here to the fidelity that is here such that it hits mainstream? 
I think what that means is you have the Dow, you vote on a proposition that takes some of the Dow's treasury and you sluice it into this project for these six developers. And if they achieve this, they get this. But who knows? We'll see. And if, if any of our listeners don't know what a DAO is, um, do one of you guys want to explain it? Uh, DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Um, but it's basically a governance mechanism for like uh, crypto protocols where owners of the DAO, so kind of like equity holders, can do votes on uh, how the DAO governs the underlying protocol. So in Decentraland the owners of uh, Decentraland tokens can, you know, vote to change uh, how the game changes over the time. So it's kind of like taking, it's almost like democracy for governance in a sense, um, or democracy for like controlling a company instead of having some hierarchical structure where like the CEO makes all the decisions at the end of the day. It's like everyone who owns equity gets to vote on everything for uh, changes made to the protocol. Um, it's very kind of utopian. Uh, yeah. I mean, and to DJ's point, like hierarchies are very um, are very efficient at making decisions and allocating resources, and a democracy isn't. So it still remains to be. They're still trying to figure out how you know DAOs work in practice with everyone voting on um, having to vote on making every decision. But it's pretty interesting. Uh Chris, Chris, I actually had this conversation with with my boy Pete in Washington Square Park too. So I got a question for you guys. So the DAO is a utopian concept, right? Like the corporation works. It works to incentivize people to get objectives done quickly and efficiently. So do you guys ultimately think that if you have like a decentralized network of contributors, right? Or of, of voters, community-owned platform that the ideal of a DAO ultimately just converges on the traditional corporate hierarchy? Is it inevitability? Like, because if it is, then all of these DAO tokens are in deep, deep, deep trouble. That's deep, man. I don't know. It's a good question though. Because like, if, if, like, if you take, and I don't know where I fall either. I was actually trying to convince Pete that the DAO is I honestly think it might converge back. But anyway, like if you take ETH2 and staking, right? What ends up happening is like, I don't have the know-how or the expertise to be a validator. Chris probably does. So he could validate and be rewarded for that. But I'm going to delegate my validation because I want some of the yield, right? I want some of that, that mint, but I don't have the skill. So I'm going to delegate that, that to someone who does. And so there's going to be millions of me's that end up delegating their individual governance to a small cabal of people, right? And then it's the same thing, no? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not going to be pure DAO. Like, everyone has a vote in making a decision. That's never going to happen. I mean, the hierarchy, this is one of the things Jordan Peterson talks about, but, like, the hierarchy is a information architecture that biology has been using for thousands of years, right? Yep. Animals sort themselves into hierarchies because it enables decision-making faster. Instead of every time you need to make a decision, every animal needs to like fight and sort themselves and then make a decision. It's like the hierarchy's already sorted, you know? It's like pre-computed who's going to make the decision and then it enables faster action. So to think that like 
we're going to move away from that is um it's just kind of i mean it's kind of ten, kind of naive um so but it, it 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 depends right there's always like there's hierarchy in one place and then a hierarchy can be embedded in a more distributed like network type um environment like every company is a is a hierarchy but then a network of companies is then distributed again right so it's just like where the hierarchies and the boundaries are drawn change over time and i think crypto might make it so that the hierarchy there can be more smaller hierarchies um right instead of having like one big hierarchy now you can have like a um a lot of smaller groups of people that are are still in hierarchies for example like why are families like you're not your family is still a hierarchy right your mom and dad make the decisions and the kids do what they are told. No one's giving the kids a vote <laughs> on what to do. And that's never going to change. I mean, it could change, I guess, if you want to have bad kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out here in California and sometimes I hear people talking about how they're going to let their kids like vote on family decisions. I'm like, <laughs> ooh, like, see ya. Um, uh, so I think I think we've kind of already started to touch on it, but um, definitely an important aspect of the, of this episode is how and and why does crypto um, help the, the us move into a metaverse, or how does it create or strength? How does it strengthen <clears throat> the economic incentives um, to operate in a metaverse? And I think you know. TJ and I kind of touched on it with the, with the NBA 2K example. And I know in our episode about NFTs, um, was it Argentina where they have people doing RuneScape stuff, um, or Venezuela, Venezuela, Venezuela. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've, we've already seen, we've already seen people have like basically full-time careers and, and lives, um, their, their economic lives in a sort of metaverse, but as you guys pointed out earlier, the issue with <clears throat> a Fortnite or a RuneScape or a 2K, the the ass they're not really assets, right? They're completely owned. It's it's it, it has the capacity to be censored, and you know it's also in the the company's interest to not allow like you know um, sales on a secondary market because they want that money, they want that revenue, and so. Um, like the obvious one is with with nfts right is that it allows these these assets to go between platforms and there's kind of a standard of like okay this is authentic this is scarce that's starting to be recognized by people all over the world um but i think there's also i think the DAO is actually a good one it's a uh, a mechanism that that'll that'll help the us move into more uh, of a of a metaverse like th that it will have more legitimacy um yeah. i know in that Piers kicks article he mentions a few of them but are there any other like are there any ones that were that we're missing i know we've touched on those two so far i think the the two um really well vetted contributions that crypto has to these metaverse concepts realizing their potential you mentioned the first which is um, the smart contract layer, um, which effectively bolsters, um, bolsters assets, 
bolsters economic value in the game. Um, and the other being how decentralization may contribute to the compute. Um, I think the decentralization contributing to governance, like as we kind of just got into, it's less clear if that ideal will be realized. But like Chris was saying, like a big part of why the internet ended up being gated was because the resources required to harness the compute were extreme. Now we have a different situation. We've slithered down the Moore's Law curve where, um, you know, a very simple laptop could potentially contribute compute to rendering these digital worlds. And I think to the extent that um, that decentralized computing can contribute to a higher fidelity digital experience, that's where decentralization comes in. Like a big issue with crypto is right, like we're just trying to jam decentralization into all these solutions where decentralization isn't necessarily the best way, right? Um, but if compute decentralized compute can contribute, I think that's legitimate. Um, but I think the the Ethereum the smart contract layer, um, you know, bolstering these NFTs in the game, allowing people to transact outside of the confines of a platform is is the big thing. That's the that's momentous innovation. Just to give people a little detail, because um, I find it fascinating. In Decentraland, which is kind of the, in my view, the preeminent metaverse, at least by virtue of um, coin market cap by for proxy, um, you have plots in the game, um, Cartesian coordinates, X, Y. Um, and they're fixed. The land supply in the game is fixed. Um, and those Cartesian plots, when people transact, the coordinates are fed into a smart contract and that ownership is indelible, right? It's locked in with a hash. And once you have that, then you have individual agents with plots of land who are able to build whatever they might be able to build or hire someone else to build on it. And without permissions, you can't violate that build, right? It's the person's. And as soon as you have that, these markets can develop. So I think that part, um, the NFTs being digital deeds that anchor economic activity is the most obvious way that crypto genuinely contributes to the metaverses. I think the decentralized stuff with the compute, decentralized stuff with the DAO, we'll see. And so um, I think there's also another aspect and maybe I have this wrong, but I was trying to explain smart contracts to my friend yesterday. And like in the example that, that you brought up earlier, TJ, where you know, could we could we pay these developers to um, to build something? But I think, again, maybe maybe I'm wrong. But it, the same thing could happen, like in this metaverse, you know, architecture example. Like, can't you write into a smart contract basically if this, then they get paid? Like, and so it creates this kind of security that you know, if you trust the code, it's like you don't have to trust a person, right? Um, and I think that that's also yeah. a valuable part of it too. Cause I mean, to be oh. fair, it's like, we, I mean, we have security in the physical world. It's just, it's a little different, but it's not, it's not as like, it, it it's not as strong as code in some ways. Like it's like the code is just, it doesn't have like emotion. It's just, it's completely rational. It's like, if this, then that, um, you know, I'm it, thinking it of, hedges the, the the code hedges you against human selfishness. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the inability to solve for the randomness and the way someone else will act, right? It's trustless. It yeah. doesn't require trust. Yeah, like I know, you know, I went through getting an, renting an apartment recently and there's a lot of like apartment scams and even 
you know, you might even get a real apartment with a real landlord and then they might try to like fuck you over for your security deposit because they know that you're not going to like take them to court over that because right. you have to pay a lawyer. It wouldn't even be worth it. Um, and that stuff like that happens a lot. Right. And I think, I don't know. I think smart contracts, there, there's a possibility that they can, um, alleviate a lot of, a lot of issues like that because you're like you said, you're not, you don't have to trust, uh, there's no like counterparty risk of like, Oh, this person might be greedy or selfish. Um, cause they can't. Right. Yeah. What, I mean, what you're describing there is like, I think it has good potential for the metaverse. It's the idea of like a, a, a parametric smart contract, right? Like if a, then B occurs, it's dictated by code. There's no human that's going to meddle with that. I think what gets tricky is in your example and, and Chris, you probably know, the specifics to this a bit better, but if you're going to say, Hey, in-game Decentraland architect, I want you to build this gallery, right? And I don't know exactly what I want. Otherwise I'll build it myself. So if you do this thing, then you'll get this amount of mana in kind. I don't know how you would speak. I don't know how you would convert that request to a computer's language. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and there's also the problem of like, oracles. Um, I was trying to explain this. This is what I was trying to explain to my friend yesterday. Like what's an Oracle. And it's like, okay, let's say, cause I know there's like this website in crypto where you can like bet on any event, right? Like you can Logger. bet on who's going to win the presidential election or, um, that's kind of a bad example, but like you could bet on like the weather one day. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, what if one weather website says it's this temperature, but another web weather website says it's slightly different. Like how are we defining the, um, how do we de define the data? Which I think is kind of what you're saying. Cool. Like, Hey, I want to build this two bedroom house with a guest house, but like, okay, what exactly is a guest house? Like you have to put all of that into the code, right? Right. I mean, the, the smart contract can be very literal and, and, and once you write the code, it doesn't change. Um, but it's very hard to describe real world, um, phenomena in code. It's like a notorious problem. So it's not like everything just becomes a smart contract and everything is solved and human ambiguity is fixed. When people say that they're kind of over exaggerating how good, um, or how useful smart contracts are. Instead, it's like parts of human interactions can be coded in smart contracts, you know? things similar to legal contracts where they're like a legal contract is like a, is like a piece of code almost in human legalese, but you still have these layers of human activity on top of it. Right. And so it's not like everything becomes a smart contract for the de developer, uh, the Decentraland developer architect making a new house, right? What you do is you probably put the mana, the tokens into escrow, the person goes and does their job and then basically you've set it up so that like there's say five people like four out of five of the people have to say they did a good job and if that if, the, if they do that then they release the money from escrow but there's still four people that need to apply their human subjectivity to say this was a good job right the code can't go and look and de decide what a good job was and with the betting on like presidents that that's all done because there's people in the real world who all vote right. to say, did the president win or not? Right. So there's, right. I think sometimes, um, 
we when we're talking about this stuff uh people undersell how active like humans still have to play a part in all these systems it's kind of like just that the code is replacing old analog piece of pieces of uh architecture like maybe parts of the legal system can be can go away because it's better to have that human legalese and code uh, because it's easier to enforce um and so that's I mean, this, an interesting this, thing to think about um well I, I guess this is sort of off topic and i don't know maybe we want to cut this but i, I think it's interesting to bring up the the oracle problem right which is in decentraland this very specific example the the conditions for execution of the of the contract are, are are probably too complex or at least too like nuanced to just be verified by the contract so you need an oracle network you need you need knowledge workers effectively to contribute data to create consensus which then gets fed into the smart contract but then parametrically executes right so there are very specific examples where the Con the contributing oracles um, need not be humans. And those are the best, right? Those are like truly trustless tamper proof. So for example, what you're talking about earlier is if you're trying to verify conditions to pay a claim on an insurance contract, like drought coverage, right? You have, you have internet of things sensors that measure rain and they, there's 30 of them and they feed into a smart contract and you take the majority answer and then you either execute the claim or you don't, right? That's simple. It's not a human collecting water in his hands and deciding if it's, you know, four cubic liters and then contributing. But like to Chris's point, there's so much fucking nuance in the world that often the oracles still have to be humans. And then if you, if you consider that the way to ensure that you're getting good information from a distributed node of humans is to use sort of like a majority consensus, right? Take the majority input and carve out the minorities. You, you, you punish the minorities and you reward the majorities. Well, then you have a problem, right? Because you can have humans collude and converge upon an average that's not, not necessarily truthful. So if I'm a node and you guys, we're all giving answers that contribute, we're all giving data that contribute to a smart contract. And I know that I only get my reward if my answer converges with yours, instead of giving the truth, I'm going to give an answer that converges with yours. And so for a lot of cases, I think you're going to see that. And so the Oracle problem, it, it, it abstracts another layer. You're going to have smart contracts up here executing digital contracts that run the world. Then you're going to have an Oracle layer here of humans. And then you're going to have an audit layer here of people that audit those humans. And it's just audit all the way down, right? Which kind of fucks shit up. So I think what you're going to end up seeing is in these Oracle networks, you're going to see... And you can think about this for, I think, any, any digital work that needs verification is, I think you're going to see a reputation layer develop in crypto, whereby your public-private key or your digital identity has this trail of activity, right? That says, this is a good actor, right? This is a cooperative actor that plays iterative games. So we either, we give his answers precedent, right? But it's it's not easy or obvious how such things would would be solved. But I think that's where if you can figure out if you can figure out what happens there, like what dynamics solve that, whether it's the audit or the reputation layer or whatever, like that needless to say, alpha up only. Hopefully it's not audits, because then we're just in the same Yeah, then we're back to the beginning. We're in the same <laughs> convoluted architecture that we're already in. That's, yeah. what, that's what all the that's what all the bears are saying. 
Um, yeah, I think uh, I think an interesting thing about the metaverse, right? There's this long out there idea. Eventually, you know, AR and VR are just overlaid on the physical world, and we're these like cyborg species, and like we're like we're like that to like a one percent extent right now. But um, I think the value in thinking about the metaverse is like how we're already we've already kind of entered it and how you should think about that um so for example a lot of older people like boomer generation some of their advice doesn't make sense just because of how fundamentally the internet's changed things i think that's where you can like benefit a lot in your personal life right so even like jobs like how do you get a job um being active on like Twitter or blogging and demonstrating your intelligence on the internet and having a portfolio on the internet is probably way better for your job now than it, it used to be. And so if you're not listening to, or if you're only listening to older people and their advice to you, like very literal advice about how to get a job, you might miss out on the fact that, oh, well, we're closer in the metaverse now, so there's actually different things you can do. Um, and I think really accepting the fact that, you know, the the topology has changed because of the internet and then taking different actions because of that is, uh, can be to your advantage. Yeah. Kind of along those lines, I was, um, I listened to, uh, Raul Powell, uh, how you say his name, but he was talking about how, when, um, when the Cerveza sickness happened, like the, some of the most, safe jobs cerveza cerveza corona i just call it that because if you say the real word uh youtube can shadow ban you another reason we need the metaverse but um (laughs) he he was talking about how when you know march 2020 you know like the kind of the tide came out and um people who could do online marketing for like e-commerce or social media marketing they had some of the safest jobs and I was talking about it with Shaney and she, cause that's what she does. And she said that the whole, like the past year, it kind of made her feel like more confident in what she does because her parents, I mean, like her dad is a farmer, her mom's uh, a teacher and used to work on the railroad. They have these like very traditional type jobs and they didn't like, I think they still don't really think what she does is like a real career, right. <laughs> you know? Um, but, um, yeah, it is. I don't know. I, that was just a little personal anecdote about it. Well, that, yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. Like, if she takes your parents too literally because they ju- grew up in a more analog world and she doesn't go with her, her gut on that, then she might not be in as good a position. Um, and so kind of understanding that the metaverse is real and people add value it, you can trust your intuition a little bit more, um, which I think is important. If, if our generation was in the exact same space as you know boomers were at that time then it would make more sense to take everything they said very literally as advice but things are a lot different now and so you can you have to trust your intuition a little bit more um than maybe uh you would have otherwise or the difference between like boomers and their grandparents is probably less or yeah i think that's right i think think the the speed the speed of change is definitely accelerating I i think that's right yeah yeah, I mean, like the classic example there's a, is there's a, parents would tell their kids like, "Oh, what playing video games is a waste of time," right? Like, 
Right. And it's, you know, people are making money on all, like, like there's professional video game players and there's like video game content creators. And then there's like community organizers. That's a whole job. You know, there's so many like derivatives of that metaverse where you can, Dude, where you can make real my, world I was money. trying to tell my mom that all the hours I put into Rocket League are going to make me a millionaire. She wouldn't <laughs> believe me. <laughs> you were nasty at Rocket League, man. Damn. Dude, the thing is like, I was, I was good within the context of the house. And then you go out into the broader world and you realize you're nothing. Dude, that's how I was you're, with 2K, you're, you're a little, You're a little you're a little, shred. Like so These guys will be playing and the, and the ball won't hit the ground one time. They're just unbelievable, just like perfect understanding of physics. Yeah. Uh, but to, to get back to the mixer um, and the Shaney example and Crisp's follow up to it about like, you, you got to seek people on the frontier who understand the new paradigm. You can't, you can't take, you can't take 30 years ago, uh, demographics super super seriously i mean there's lessons in there right like history rhymes but it kind of reminds me of i haven't read this but i saw the quote in david deutsch's uh beginning of infinity which is like in 1900 like no one was like all right let's anticipate and make sure that we structure you know nuclear proliferation and the internet correctly it's like no one had even remotely conceived of any of those ideas right like you you don't know what is going to change shit up so like this idea of the, the the metaverse for a lot of people it's so different and new that they would have never conceived of it in the first place and thus sort of ignore its existence or relevance whereas for other people like us it's very very real like the the, the context it, it just there's there's a mismatch this is why like i think like all these legendary older investors in crypto it's like no 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 this thing literally doesn't exist to me because I understand the world in this very specific way and it's done really well for me. And so despite this new information coming in, I'm not going to change my mind because in a lot of ways, changing my mind, like undermines a lot of who I am, what I know about myself as a person, my place in the world, which I think is just tricky for a human being who has an ego. Yeah. I mean, and if we sound like hype beasts here, it's like, uh, we are that we're just be like dismissing everything that's <laughs> already like been. It's like, Rationally, <laughs> irrationally optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, you know, railroads, before railroads, the average person didn't like ever leave their like local town, right? Like most people didn't leave like a 30 mile radius or some crazy stat like that. And that was only 200 years ago. Um, so the people, if you were in people like in, in 1900 were probably being like, you can't listen to these old people. There was no railroads before. Look at now I'm crossing the country. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, so you have, that. and so like it's, it's every generation is like, oh, well, this is a whole new paradigm. Like as long as technology is growing fast enough, there's always going to be a new generation with a new paradigm. And presumably if you understood how the railroad works, that would that would be who that like you would have a better understanding of like what's going on in the world, and you wouldn't be shocked when uh, certain things happen. Or maybe I mean like knowing how railroad rail, uh, railroads work, you still get shocked by the things that pop out in the world because everything's so complex. But at least you're like a little more hip to it. Like right. like obviously I don't know we're not, we don't know what everything that's going to happen with the metaverse, but it it can only behoove you to be a little bit hip to the new paradigm. Yeah, I completely agree. I was, t I was talking to, uh, like, thinking about um, how technology develops and how paradigms, it's difficult to anticipate 
obviously a paradigm shift. It comes out of nothing and uh, the knowledge problem is difficult for a human to solve. But um, my, my boy Pete asked the question, does in, in, in 10, 15 years, does, is it possible that a upstart smartphone company displaces like the entrenched positions that Apple and I guess Android do? And I was thinking about it and the logical answer I think is, is no, because it's not like it's not like one railroad company displacing another. Well, that's actually a horrible example. It's not like one farmer displacing another, right? Because if one farmer optimizes his performance, cuts his expenses, you know, tries some new farming techniques, and maybe he can have better financials and outpace this farmer. But the problem with the smartphone example is like solving for network effects is a completely different game, right? It's very much more difficult to, to infringe upon the network effect and the moat that creates. But like ultimately, there's probably not going to be a smartphone upstart that displaces Apple. What's going to displace Apple is like the next paradigm of compute, whatever the fuck that might be, right? It's going to be like a brain computer interface or like, you know, some sort of like GPT-3 enabled contact lens or like God knows what it is. Like no one can solve for that. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And also it's, it's interesting because I, I hear people talk about like first mover advantage a lot and it's a real thing. Um, but I also, I watched this like infographic the other day and it was showing the most popular websites like since the nineties or maybe it was the late nineties. And it kind of showed like year by year and then like which one has, you know, how many use, how many, um, people are going to that website and, and like Amazon was like such a small piece of it for so long. And then they would have like a little move and then they would, dip back down and it was like eBay or, you know, websites that aren't even around anymore. Um, but that's kind of like, I don't know, that's just how technology is. It's like something can come out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden it's like a household name within years. And it's, it seems right. obvious like, oh yeah, like this, you know, Amazon seems like such an obvious bet, but like no one was investing in Amazon for a long time. I'm surprised there's no like Amazon um verb yet like xerox i guess i guess it's sort of like post it right like but still there's no there's there's no like it's, amazon yeah. noun or verb that's entered the vernacular yeah, you don't say, maybe I'm it's just like too long it. too long a word say that I'm yeah amazon. Amazon. no one says that yeah. yeah like people say i'm gonna google it i'm gonna google right. it like but you say i'm gonna order it on amazon it's not like what's uber you know it's just interesting how that hasn't entered yeah. the the language i guess like what are um do you guys have any things that you've tried to do differently to kind of fit yourself into a digital first world intentionally and not just, you Definitely. know, happen naturally. That was actually something I wanted to bring up. Um, it's kind of in line with what TJ was saying at first when I was like, well, you know, in some ways, like you're this really primal guy, but you're also like digitally entrenched in some ways too. For me, like I kind of hate social media, like to be honest with you, um, I hate Facebook. I hate Instagram, Twitter. It's okay, but it's like really addictive and I waste time on it. Um, but I like, so part of me could be like, well, I'm just gonna, you know, I have friends like that where it's like, Hey, I just deleted everything and I just work my job and I, you know, live my life and I kind of like envy them in some ways. But I also, it, it would be like, I was ignoring this phenomenon that's happening before our eyes where people are monetizing their opinions and talent and content and like all these 
incredibly new ways. Um, and I want to do that. You know, I think it's like just such a easy bet to make on yourself. It's like, what do you, what do you have to lose? Right? Like, what do we have to lose by making this podcast? Like we enjoy doing it. It helps us with our own ideas. It, it's social. Um, and the upside is huge. So me just making content, you know, honestly making content is like, I, I, like I said, I don't necessarily like social media, but it, it is what it is. And I feel like this might be kind of extreme, but I almost feel like you're stupid not to be making some kind of content. It's like, why not? You know, the, the cost Dude, you're, is so small. you're, you're a fucking contact content machine. Much respect. Well, it's, it's fun, dude. And it's easy. And it's, I mean, really, what do you like the first investment, big investment I made was this fucking, uh, mic, these mics. Right. And, you know, I got a new computer too, to edit video, but for the longest time, like when I was making like a lot of fitness content, I was literally like filming it on my phone and editing it completely on my phone, uploading it from my phone. And, you know, they're not like beautiful videos or anything, but they work. And some of them like the ones I least expect have like 2000 views on it. You know, the ones I almost didn't make, I'm like, damn, like I see that shit. If I keep doing, making the right things, like this could, it might not be my job, but it can make me some money, you know? And I, mean, I think to, to your, to your to, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think there's also something that, that I personally like underestimate, which is maybe you don't monetize your own content, but like having a presence online and like kind of showing people that you like can do things <laughs> and you see things through and you have a voice, um, itself is really valuable just for potential future art, like business opportunities. Right. To your, uh, to your point about it being like a, a win-win to create content. Um, like hearkening back to psychology of money, like very few contributions um, are responsible for the majority of the returns, right? And so if you're interacting with this digital ecosystem and you don't know what's gonna take off, no one knows, right? If the algorithm picks you up and just like blasts you into the front page of YouTube, then boom, all of a sudden your ad revenue is in the thousands. Right. Like you gotta, you gotta put up numbers. You gotta be a volume shooter to get there. So like, why not create digital content? This, this podcast, like we're all just doing what we want to do anyway. We're talking about interesting stuff with the fucking boys. Right. And then we just contribute it to the internet and hopefully people are down to hop on the train. That's it. Right. It's no, it's no work. It's, it's joy. It's pleasure. Uh, for me to answer the question, I feel very similarly about social media. I think it's addictive and largely deleterious. But Twitter, I'm addicted to. Um, and I think I get a lot of alpha from Twitter. I don't think I can get off Twitter. I think it's like ultimately, and, and it's not a joke. I think a lot of deep crypto insights come from Twitter. Um, and I think if you're off Twitter, then you're going to have difficulty at least navigating the altcoin world. If you're an ETH or BTC holder, great. I think you're doing the right thing. But you're going to have trouble understanding the new projects and the developments and all that if you're not following the right people on Twitter for me in terms of doing things deliberately, um, that I guess, what was the question, Chris, make you a little bit like more digitally fluent. Yeah. Or just how have you changed your behavior intentionally because of the idea of like the metaverse existing? Hmm. Well, I don't know about the metaverse, but changing behavior to, um, like be more comfortable and effective digitally. 
I, I try to use um, I try to use computers to make my life more efficient and enjoyable. So um, sort of like a Siri power user. Um, and I use like Aura Ring and Apple Watch to, um, you know, engage in like quantitative self and measuring and ensuring that I'm like living up to who I want to be and progressing. Uh, but other than that, like I actually feel fairly technologically like naive, I think, compared to like a lot of my peer set. Maybe not naive, but like un unskilled. How about you, Chris? Yeah. Um, I think the main thing over the last year is trying to more publicly share ideas and thoughts. And even though no one's listening to me, understanding that it's like a, uh, it's like a way to build a portfolio for people to like eventually look at and see what you think about. Um, so it's kind of like instead of networking all the time and telling people what you can do and what you can know, uh, you kind of just make a portfolio on the internet, you know, and then hopefully let people see what you're doing and piggyback off of it. And I think that's pretty interesting. So this idea of doing, um, I feel like 30 years ago, they'd be like, you should be just going, getting coffee with people all the time and, you know, doing all this networking. Now it's probably more like you should just be posting on the internet all the time and then talking to people there and chatting with them. But, um, so that's kind of changed. Obviously, like your, your close relationships with people, that's still in the analog space. But now you're kind of networking in professional life is probably more this like chit chat that's going on on Twitter for a Tw lot of people. The Twitter, the Twitter MBA. Yeah, the Twitter MBA. Um, I think that's some, the, a big intentional thing I've done. Um, but it's hard to like, you know, there's all these like subconscious things going on. Um, like learning to code, I remember I, I didn't learn to code till I was like 21. A lot of people, this other dude, Poria, that I work with was lear learning at 13, he said. And I was like, oh, damn. That's damn. You got a head start. Dude, it's kind of, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the cats that were in ETH in like 2013. You're just like, ah. Yeah. So, if I had just bought, if I had just bought like one illegal drug on Silk Road, I would have had a wallet. Yeah, so maybe that's what we should tell our kids to do. Like, if you're just do more drugs when you're young, it'll get you into it. Dude, I saw this guy's tweet, and he was like, he was like, this this year I've made a ton of money on GameStop, Dogecoin, and I forget what something else. I don't know AMC or something. And he was like, my best financial advice is to be a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that actually it's it's actually a good point i mean but my buddy just texted me <laughs> my buddy just texted me dude should i buy some doge right now i'm sure you guys are getting texts like that too and i'm i'm just not even going to respond to him because i told him not to buy it at two cents so it's like hey man make your own decisions yeah. don't fucking blame me you live and you learn i mean the the you know the market will remain retarded longer than you can stay solvent right yeah. <clears throat> I remember not that long ago, people going like, dude, there's for Dogecoin to get to $1, it would have to be this market cap, whatever. Like, it's so ridiculous. And now it's like almost 50 cents. It's like, is it almost 50 cents? Yeah, I think so, dude. I think it's like 40 cents. Christ, dude. Yeah, it's, Christ. At, it's pumping today. It's at, it's at 39 cents. I, I hate all this nonsense. Or I don't. I don't hate it. I honestly think it's funny, but I, I, I fear for our lives. 
<laughs> the because like I mean, people like to be like GME Doge. Like these people are speculating, but every we were talking about this already offline. But everything is pumped up, like Apple stock, Amazon stock. Everything is just so ex- exorbitantly high, and everyone's in on it. Like I feel like it's 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 worrisome. What's gonna what's gonna pop out of this? Um, yeah, I think I think we're definitely in a in a worldwide asset bubble and it's gonna be pretty ugly but what i think is like interesting about um the meme coins is like people take these buckets and they're like doge is over here right it's like a rancid meme coin with no fundamentals and then you got all these all these crypto technologies with coins attached to them that are all the way over here right they're like solving problems for people they have good fundamentals good tokenomics like ultimately value is in the eye of the beholder right like all of financial markets like fundamentals only mean so much. There's reflexivity, right? So if, like, there's the reason technical analysis is so valuable in crypto. Like, if other people are using it, then it's valuable. And so, like, all of this sort of like sanctimonious, like, defense of certain of these DeFi protocols, like, ultimately, we're all in here just to try to make money, right? And that means front running other people that are going to hop in this coin. It's not. It's not about like fundamental, like hopefully fundamentals will converge, but like, so you take Doge, it has like no fundamentals or like SafeMoon. I'm sure you guys heard about SafeMoon. Like SafeMoon, the tokenomics were built to pump. It was, it was literally like pump coin, right? And so people are like, oh, like I would never touch those things. But at the same time, like everyone's investing in like Uni and Sushi as if at some point in the future, like cash flows are going to be sluiced to owners when if that's the case, those are security tokens. And if that's the case, then they absolutely pass the Howey test and get regulated out of the yeah. ass, right? But like people are like up on their high horse, like, oh no, I only invest with things in fundamentals. Like everyone's out here to make money. In my opinion, just as good of a fundamental as anything else is when I buy this, there will be a thousand more people retail coming in to buy it after me. And then I'm gonna dump my bags. Yeah. On them. Like, oh yeah, dude. Trading's trading, right? Dude, I, I completely agree. Like it. I, I like what you're saying because it's kind of helping me uh, with my own cognitive dissonance. Because I, I, I like, <laughs> I love Bitcoin, and it's like the reason I got into crypto. And I tell people about it, and I'm like, oh, Bitcoin's the best, you know. Like, I kind of agree with the Bitcoin maxis about a lot of things, but like, I'm tell you right now, I literally own no Bitcoin. It's all in ETH and fucking alts because I'm like, dude, the game is to make more Bitcoin. So it's like if I know. Like history has shown me, I mean, at least my trading so far, and it's like every sign is pointing like, this is how I can make more Bitcoin. Like, I'm going to do it. Do you know what I mean? But I like kind of hate it, but it's like, dude, at the end of the day, you're right. It's We're here to make money, you know? So I'm fucking buying pancake swap. And it's like, I hate that I'm doing it. I'm like, this is like so bullshit, but it's like making me crazy returns. Like, so it, I don't know. It's the, weird. The, the, the this the, this the is reason, all the like, Fed's you, fault. You, you, look at, you look at like a like a... BSC and BNB, right? And three months ago, I looked at that, or two months ago, I looked at that and I was like, absolutely not. No decentralization. It's effectively a corporation, right? I don't want to get involved in the fundamentals of this because it violates it violates everything that I appreciate about like ETH, for example. But the reality of the situation is that it had a whole bunch of fundamentals that I didn't see that are just as valuable. Okay, yeah, maybe it's like a cabal of of delegators, right? There's like, what would you say? 21? 21. There's, there's 21 validators. Okay. So it's 21 validators. It's kind of like a corporate board, right? So it doesn't have decentralization, but like to what extent 
is decentralized enough. Clearly the users, they looked at one thing. ETH is too expensive for me and I'm excluded from it. Where can I go be my digital self and transact? That's cheap. The other thing that I didn't account for is BSC is a marketing machine. Their distribution network is unbelievable. CZ and that team, they've created the onroads for millions of users. Like that's all very, very valid. And had I seen that yet that then, slash that users would onroad despite no decentralization, which is sort of like irrational, then I would have been a millionaire, right? Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's um it's really crazy, man. And it, like kind of this is you guys are kind of already mentioning this, but it's like what I've realized about investing in crypto at, at this stage of the bull market is like, it's all about just thinking ahead of the herd. It's like nothing about like, what is this actually valued? Cause everything in my opinion is pretty much overvalued. Like if you're thinking long-term, like I think you hold ETH and BTC and you'll most likely do well, you know, five, 10 years, but like for the short term, it's like none of this shit makes any sense. You know, the market caps of these coins is, are just ridiculous. And so because I got frustrated, like finding these like projects with 10 million, 20 million market cap. And I'm like, this is so sick. Like they're doing something that is valuable. Like they're actually doing something that the space needs, but then no one ever figures out about it and no one even cares. And it, you know, you lose so, money. So I'm not, I'm not quite, I'm not quite as, uh, as cynical about like the entire space being, uh, like smoke and mirrors. I think like for a large percentage of these coins, it'll be a nightmare when the bear market hits, right? Yeah. You'll see a rotation into ETH and BTC. But like what I what I what I look for is like what about this ecosystem? What infrastructural layers of this ecosystem? We're talking about invariance, right? What fundamental layers of this ecosystem will benefit regardless of where the, the tendrils go, right? Regardless of which like heads the hydro generates, like where can I play down here that is like alpha regardless of which way the simulation goes and so like one of those is it's largely been a retail phenomenon so far right so what i'm looking for is for which commercial solutions take well to decentralization that's where that's what i want to be in when decentralization is making money and solving problems for these massive massive problems like insurance like digital real estate deeds, bringing things on chain, like the internet of things and, and measuring the status of equipment and devices, car insurance. So, um, and I think that also brings us back um, to the metaverse kind of nicely is this idea of when does crypto technology converge with economic solutions, like genuine robust economic solutions? And I have a, I have a question for you guys after this. So in Decentraland, for example, um, it's not it's not a game, right? Because a, a game is a um, is this opportunity that's dictated by a platform where you inherit inject objectives, and then you go try to win those objectives, and that's the thing, right? It's this single path. Whereas like these metaverses are sandboxes; they're meant to be played in. You choose your objectives, and so one thing that I think brings great legitimacy to them is these economies that have opened up. So, for example, in Decentraland. You have people like Metacoven, who is, uh, I believe, an Indian investor who bought um, he bought Beeple's most expensive artwork. He paid an architect in game to erect a gallery, and he displays that artwork in the gallery. You can go there. Your avatar can go there. You can redeem a free NFT, which is a hoodie, which has his insignia on it, right? You're seeing the genesis of direct-to-avatar advertising now, right? And people displaying their NFTs. 
You've got, a, you've got another shop called Decentral Games. They've also bought estates of land and they run in-game casinos that generate real revenue and they, they pay ushers to show people how to use the games, right? So economic opportunity is actually coming to these, these worlds. And for now, none of us probably would interact with that. But if we were, you know, Filipinos who had lost their jobs, your economic in the opportunity in the game exceeds that maybe in real life. That's a real problem that you're solving for a real demographic. And these paradigm shifts, they typically start in niches, right? Like Amazon started with books and then they grew. Shopify started with snowboards and then they grew and then they became mainstream. All of a sudden, it's not just this little group of marginalized people in the Philippines, but it's everyone. So I guess the question is, you know, at what point of economic robustness or opportunities in game, like labor opportunities, would you guys consider kind of abandoning or spending time in game contributing value? Is it all about when um, the money is comparable or is there something to potentially the to sort of the financial freedom and control of your time of spending time in the metaverse that would uh, that would propel you to, to, to consider that like a significant amount of hours like three four hours a day contributing metaverse value does that make sense I think I think I get what you're at say the, say the question again what re repeat the last part so like what 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 has to what has what, what do the conditions have to be? like within the metaverse, such that you would consider foregoing labor in the real world to start contributing in the metaverse? Something I'm thinking about is like the bridge, like if you make income in the, um, in the metaverse, it's like, how can I use that to buy real world goods still? That, that's what it would be for me. And I mean, right now the answer is yes, right? It's like I, you know, hypothetically I could make mana, flip it into you know fiat off ramp, and then pay my rent. Um, so that's kind of already there. I guess it would just be a matter of like how much money I could make relative to how much money I make with my nine to five. If right. once it was like equal, then I would dive in to the metaverse. I think I would only do it if I thought the activity in the metaverse was like more useful than whatever's going on in the real world. So like if people were, I don't know, building schools or something to help contribute code to build a school in the metaverse, maybe I can, I'd, I'd consider that. But I, um, like the whole gaming part, like I don't really care about that because it doesn't appeal to me. Um, so for you, it's like the there was like an AR layered on top of reality, kind of like Google Glass, where it'd be like actually really cool. And AR is layered on your real world. And it's like this kind of guide, like a really good assistant that it helps you understand the real world. Uh, that that would be cool to help contribute to. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, that, about that's like probably a far way off. Like, I mean recognition and understanding the real world is really hard that's like it doesn't exist all right so i got i got like a more specific hypothetical than for both of you so shake what about if like um i mean you're you're pretty damn good with uh, marketing and distribution and branding like what if someone tasked you with creating like a marketing strategy like for their casino right so like medicoven what he did is if you attend my gallery, I can verify your attendance with this free hoodie, 
which has like MetaCovid insignia on it. So if you wear it in the game, like I'm advertising elsewhere. So like you were effectively asked to create the uh, avatar advertising strategy for like a new enterprise in the business. And then like Chris, for you, like one of the 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 limitations of these worlds growing is uh, creating creating a decentralized a distributed rendering engine such that you could have a whole bunch of people in game and interact with the world in real time. Like we don't have that yet. So which is why they're so blocky. But what if someone was like, all right, we got Chris and these six other people like distributed throughout the world. And, you know, if you create a world with these conditions, say like no lag with 10,000 players in this section of the world at once, like you each get incentivized with 200,000 mana, like would that, would those two things like be compelling to you guys? Assume, assume you can make exactly what you would if, Seem you, you can make exactly what you are right now, I guess. <laughs> for me, for me, this is uh, my so thought. Like, food stamps. My Perfect. thought is, I, like the reason I said, like once it was like even equal to my current salary, I would dive in head first because I just look at it as like, okay, if I assume the metaverse is inevitable, um, like the the physical world or the you know, corporate world that I operate in, uh, Silicon Valley is, is going to be here too, right? It's inevitable, like almost inevitably going to continue. But my place in that world is insignificant. I'm like dirt, like I'm very expendable, you know, and hopping into the metaverse, I might be a slightly less expendable, but like kind of my place in the hierarchy could move, could, could change more rapidly. And I think I would have the first mover advantage, like of really understanding yes. that space. And like, so that's, that's my thought is like, yeah, if it made, honestly, even if I could make, even if I was making slightly less, I might consider doing it. Um, that's just my thought about it because I, but I also think Chris has a good point. It's like, what am I working on? You know, is it, is it interesting? Your example, I, I would be super interested in that. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, if there was like some opportunity to work on something in the metaverse, I wouldn't turn it down. But it, I guess it's not just the most interesting part of crypto um, to me. But um, again, like I don't think of metaverse just like these virtual reality games. It's like just digital first society. Like I, I that's all I work on, I guess, at this point, right? So. I've already kind of committed to it in the, in the broader sense. Yeah. Where do we, that's something I wanted to bring up. I know we're getting over an hour here, but where do we draw the line? Yeah, it's like, enough. cause some of what, some of what I think is like, Oh, this already is, um, partly the metaverse, but it's not fully, I mean, where do we draw the line? I don't think I don't think we do. I don't think there is really right, a line. It's like, very ambiguous. I don't I don't know if it's like a like a useful exercise. I mean, like there's clearly still a separation between like biological activity with physical atoms and digital activity, but like we're it's all gonna get jumbled yeah. up ultimately. I think if you had to say like, are we living in the metaverse slash like technical signal uh, singularity yet? Or are we not? You'd have to say yes. Like we've we've all put so much of our memory on into Google and the internet and given up so much of our lives. I mean, at this point, if the internet disappeared, we'd probably still society would probably still be okay. 
but um, more and more every day, like we've given up our dependence, our, our independence, you know, to our technology. So we're kind of like our, like we're our, our, our bodies and our minds are already extended into technology, right? Yeah. So we're kind of like, we're already living in it. It's just going to keep growing. Yeah. That's like, yeah. part of me is thinking of, oh, there's this metaverse over here and then there's the real world that we know. But it's kind of like the real world becomes more and more digital to the point that it's like there is no line. Um, because I'm even thinking about my job right now. Like I did my whole job search online and like actually making content. I made a video on LinkedIn that has like the most views of anything I've ever done. That helped me get recruiters. Like recruiters reached out to me like, hey, I saw your video. Like I want to interview you, whatever. Um, and then I accepted this job completely online. I've never met anyone I work with in person. Uh, oh, that's, I met one guy for lunch cause he lives in LA, but everybody's remote. Some of the teams in China, we do Google meets. All my customers are remote. They're hiring people remote. So I'm helping them find people remotely online that are going to work online for them. It's like, it's yeah. kind of is the metaverse already. I mean, you know, it, uh, even, even the most fundamental of like biological conditions, like the fact that our organs work together to keep us alive. Like we have artificial organs, right? Like we have pacemakers, even movement, which is fundamentally an animal-esque thing, right? Like physical movement. Like we once walked, then we went to horses, which are still biological. Now our cars drive themselves, right? That's, that's artificial. I mean, like I have all this shit literally on my body. Like, yeah. I mean, fire, I th I think like fire, once we came up with fire and we could cook our meat, our stomachs changed what they could metabolize, right? Like a fire is an extended metabolic system, right? That exists outside of you. And if we lost the ability to make fire, what we could digest would change. And so like there's this whole branch of like, you know, philosophy, uh, this like extended self, extended mind, extended body that, you know, parts of ourselves really do exist outside of ourselves. Our narrating self, our consciousness feels like it's just right here. But if you really dug into it, like we're already extended into technologies pretty. Um, and, the, and the metaverse is just like continuing that, you know, it's like the trend that's been going on since we created fire, in my opinion. Yeah, what a, what a, that's, that's a good point. The extended phenotype. Um, yeah, it's already here. It's been here for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, one, uh, to, to harken back, what I think is, is com potentially super compelling about the metaverse is we already have a metaverse where digital species, we socialize digitally, we allow computers to dictate a lot of our lives, right? Whether they're driving our cars or like, we're, I'm literally speaking to a computer. Um, the metaverse, it, it, it brings back a spatial aspect to our digital socialization, right? Like it, it gives you the skeuomorphic avatar to, to operate through. And I think that's potentially interesting. It, it gives people, gives humans a layer of comfort, uh, 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 like a layer of, of atoms that they're so familiar with that maybe that just takes this digital socialization or interaction to the next level, be able to see another face Faces and eyes are so critical to how humans interact. Like, even if it's not a real face, right? The idea is still there. It's still two eyes. And look, and, and like, have you guys ever looked across a room and even at like 80 feet, you know, someone's looking at your eyes, 
Like all that is so innate. We have the ability to, we, we look deep into eyes or the windows to the soul to bring back that skeuomorphic sort of interaction, I, I think could, could be interesting. That's well said. Yeah, I agree. It's making it, it's almost making it more tangible, like this thing that already exists yeah. via the internet. Which is like, we're not only, it's only we, the biological merging with the digital. Now the digital is merging with the biological, right? It's just, it, we merge with our mushrooms. True closer. Yeah. Um, should, I'm just going to say these. Well, I don't know. That's probably fine. Actually, it's probably a fine finish. What do you guys think? No, if you have a closing remark, let's go ahead. It was, I mean, it was just going to be a summary. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, rip it, rip it. It'll help me at the very least <laughs> to make sense all of right. all this. All right, lad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So guys, in summary, um, at, at least for me, what is alluring about this idea, um, that Neil Stevenson put forward about the metaverse or three kind of concepts. The first is, uh, they, they realize more truly the openness that the internet was really supposed to give to us. Um, you can go in there, you can choose your avatar, you can own your land, no one can take it, and you can really be whoever you want inside that game. Um, it allows you social freedoms that don't exist in sort of a status-based world. And the second is modifiability. These, these virtual worlds are genuine sandboxes. You don't enter them and inherit an objective. You enter them and you decide on what you want to do. And what that entails is you can modify the topography of the game. You can modify the topography on your land and no one can touch that land, right? You don't require a government to defend your land. Your land is defended by Ethereum smart contract layer. That's an unbelievable upgrade. And the third is just user sovereignty. There's ownership of assets throughout the game, meaning that you can trade those outside the game, meaning you can lease them to someone else, meaning I can offer you a mortgage on your house. So all of these markets that we've seen in the existing world are coming to the games uh, because users have sovereignty over their collectibles, which is fundamentally different than a Fortnite or an NBA 2K or anything like that. So we're moving from games um, to some semblance of a metaverse, whatever that means to you. Maybe we're there already. Maybe we're not quite there. But um, I think this episode could have been a lot. This seems like a fringe thing. Uh, but it seems to at least me and I think the other levered lads as well that uh, we are moving in this direction. And it would behoove you uh, not to take a look and dig in and see maybe if it's, if it's for you. Well said. Agreed. And thank you to everyone who listened this far. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace.